You're listening to Clock Radio Speakers with Armand and Doc. And now, side B. Do you want to you want to explain like what your idea was? Because I think you sure. do a better job than I so, can. So initially, we were going to do a definitive 15 on a particular artist. And, um, you know, Google actually did something really, really dope. Um, I think it was over the weekend where, you know, for certain holidays and events, they'll turn their homepage into something interactive. And what they did this week was they turned the, the Google logo into two turntables. They had vinyl that you could put on there. You could basically mix, scratch. They had a breakdown of the beginnings of hip hop because hip hop turned, I believe, 44 last week. So I, I just randomly thought of an idea. I think I was driving back from, uh, from Detroit. And I said, well, maybe we should do a definitive 15 on maybe the 15 songs that are maybe that it could either be that developed hip hop or it could just be what you and I uh, what did it for you and I? Why we love hip hop so much? What are the songs that did it? Songs, albums, and we were kind of going back and forth, like, what should we do? And I've got songs, but Doc, you're you're more bent towards albums. If you were going to take this angle, right? Yeah, I've out of all the topics that we have talked about on the show, we are on episode. You think I would know, right? What episode are we on? Two. We gotta be like two seventy. Two seventy. This is episode two seventy two. Oof. I know two seventy two. Uh, this is the idea for me of writing about like 15 songs that impacted, which is how you put it. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I've never struggled with anything on the show as much as I struggle with that because in a weird way, like individual songs, I think are almost like more reflective of like where I was in terms of like, Oh, I was 13 when I heard that. And that meant something to me in a particular way, not because of the music, but because of where I was. And that's, a weird way, like, I don't think of, I, at least I don't, I need, almost need to talk this out in real time. I don't really think about music that way. Like, when I think about my relationship to music and how I talk about it on the show, I will definitely talk about things like, oh, that really hit me or whatever. But, like, I do, like, think almost maybe to a fault, I think about and talk about, like, the bigger picture and where this, like, stands and, like, this album meant this and it led to this. And I see... I, I see hip hop in that sort of way. And I, I can even be like, while I'm listening to something, I can even be like as dispassionate, like in, in, in that certain sense. And also like, I am a creature of albums, like albums really matter to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because like, and so because of that, I was, I literally like, I could think of, I started with I, like the first song. I knew exactly what I was going to write down because it was the song that turned me from, you know, 12 year old who had obviously heard hip hop songs, but listened to a lot of different music and it turned me from that into, Oh, I need to go buy this tape. And then I'm listening to like nothing but hip hop within weeks. Yeah. So like I could name that one. But then after that, I was like, I don't know. Like I could talk about this song because it like, but it's not even like I would ever put that on a definitive 15. It just happened to hit me at a certain place in my life. And then the other weird part about it is in a weird way, I would fill this, I, this is going to sound so conceited. I would fill this list with stuff you and I have made <laughs> because now that we make, because, because we've been making music in some ways, that is how like, um, I will emotionally like get stuff out. And mm. so my emotional relationship to music, because I can make it is totally different. Yeah. I, so I, I, I struggled so hard. Well, then we should have just had you because what I ended up doing was, yeah, there were albums, but there were particular songs from the album. But I want to talk about that. So, like, I, yeah. I, I really want like I, I'm, I'm super interested to to hear what you have. And uh, we should always say uh, whenever Armand and I do these sorts of things, uh, whether it's a, a definitive 15 on an artist or, um, you know, in this case, sort of not like a definitive 15 on like a concept. um, we don't ever share our list, so I have no idea what Armand put down. Like having known Armand now for we at fifteen years, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, right? Something like, something yeah. like that. Um, I, I have some ideas, but I'm fascinated <laughs> to know where this is going to go. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff was it was like, all right, if I remember where I was and what was going on, and if the song, um made me maybe see things different or switch Mm. up something. That's what made me put the particular song on the list. Um, Now, the first one, a record like LL Cool J's I'm Bad, is the first rap song that I ever fell in love with. Mm. 
my father, you know, remember seeing the video and even like the cobblestone on the road that LL was on when his girl got kidnapped and then remembering that that cobblestone is also at my grandmother's house. So when we would go visit my grandmother in the summertime, you know, I would reenact the video in her on her street, um, wanting a gold chain and a Kango and a jumpsuit. And, you know, just thinking LL Cool J for me was the first hip hop superhero. So the same way that people look at today, Kanye's a hip hop superhero. It could almost be like a, a, a god in a sense. Um, Jay's a superhero. Um, at one point, DMX was a superhero. Puff, uh, Tupac, 100% is a superhero. For me, LL Cool J was the first hip hop superhero where he was larger than life. And at four years old, um, I saw him and I saw this video and I said, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I have to emulate it. Um, you know, I don't remember the album that it was on. Was it on radio? I'm bad. I don't know. They're probably going to kill us for that. But that wasn't that one isn't necessarily tied to an album. But another record that I have on my list is Little Brothers the Yo-Yo. Mm. Because um, the listening 100% is on an, is an album that changed my life. Um, Fonte in particular, this was the verse. I remember this verse was verse of the month. It was the hip hop quotable in the source. And I believe it got four and a half mics. And it was like a thing where you and I being on the internet and back then the internet wasn't this cool tool that it is now. It always was a cool tool. It was always a tool, but it wasn't always cool. And so we were like these nerd losers who would like just <laughs> listen to all this music and just like regurgitated, have all these deep introspective conversations, which now is clock radio speakers. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> and, but back then we're on forums and we're and word spread about this group from North Carolina. And they kind of had this sound that reminded you of tribe called quest. And this guy made these beats that sounded like Pete rock. And there was this, this rapper who was really funny and he was witty, but he could rap and he had all these other intangibles and he raps this verse about, five percenters, Hebrew Israelites, whatever sort of ideal, ideal that you want to attach them to of people who take particularly uh, black artists who take themselves seriously, but they also contradict themselves. But he did it in a way that was very funny and very engaging. Fonte made me change the way I wrote rhymes. And to this day, Fonte is one of my favorite rappers ever because he influenced me in a way that maybe four other rappers have done so. See, so see that the listening is would probably be on my list too, but in a sense, it would Ninth Wonder made me realize I could make meats. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's not even like that's it sounds like I'm damning with fan praise, right? Like, oh, if he can make meats, like not at all. But like because it was a thing that, oh, this guy, this guy's using software. Exactly. Like he's not using an MPC. What is he like? Clicking and yeah, 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 actually, you know, or whatever. Um, which is totally taken for granted now. Um but that was like a big deal. Yeah. And it was like, oh, right. I get it. Like, and, Go ahead. No, no. And so, it, yeah, that's an interesting, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So, so. And, and on top of that, I, and I meant to make this point earlier when I was talking about us on the internet, Little Brother was the first internet group that made it, quote unquote. You know, so it wasn't, you know, you and I were, were making these mixtapes and putting them on SoundClick and doing all this stuff and Justice League was using all the same stuff that we were. Right. They were on hip hop forms just like we were. Right. So you we, know? if they could do it, we could do it. Exactly. Exactly. It wasn't the whole, yeah, they signed a record deal, but it was an independent deal. And you saw them Fonte on his MySpace blogs, you know, um, just Knife Wonder and his, and his, uh, he was one of the first people to utilize YouTube. Knife Wonder in the original uh, uh, Black is Back, the, the, the remix album he did for the Black album, mailing them out to people who had addresses who would you'd send them their addresses and doc you have a copy right i do i have i i have some yeah from that like oh three to like yeah like oh two to like oh four era yep. i have i have some interesting like somewhere in, my, in a closet i have some interesting like stuff that like so i have oh man what was that was it hiphopsite.com that used to have yep. a lot of justice league stuff yes i have i have all sorts of justice league stuff from them but i have like i don't know i have this like weird like mad lib sampler that like got mailed out but like stuff from artists like i have a cdr of 
uh, of uh, the Gray album, like mailed to me by Danger Mouse. Yeah, because I paid for it on eBay from him. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I've got back his black. Yeah, I've got all this. Re- oh, I have. Um, what was the other thing I got from? I think I've, I think you had to. I don't know. It was like. I think basically involved like responding to a forum post and then like PayPal and then, like giving your like PayPal info. You know what I mean? Like, and they sent like, I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. And I think, what is it? It's, um, what was the like, Oh, ninth invented the remix. Yeah. I have <laughs> hard copies of those. Yep. But yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So stuff like that is, is basically what, where I was going. Cause it, it had been very easy to been like, yeah, well, grandmaster flash, the message is a definitive hip hop. Of course it is. Nothing but G thing is a definitive. Of course it is. Well, I, I mean, in a weird way, I think it, I think maybe you know we could do it at some point. But to say, okay, you have only fifteen. Someone has never listened to hip hop. You have to get them to a place where they could hear something on the radio now and understand conceptually how we got here. You have fifteen songs. Go. That's easy. See, I don't think that's easy at all. Yeah, it's easy. I think that's actually really. I think there's enough twists and turns, and you have to decide where they can skip and where they can't skip. I think that's a fascinating thought exercise. I mean, because essentially all you have to do is you have to take an artist and this is what I was doing. I was like, okay, so who are the artists who I can right now off the top of my head say that they inspired me in some way? Who were my favorites throughout life? Okay, Nas. Um, When I think of Nas, what is the first song I think of that used to like evoke an emotion out of me that made me consider him to be one of the greatest? The Message. Hearing that snippet, uh, it was written, was at a feverish pitch. Well, I had to have that album. Nas was my favorite. My sister had a crush on him. I used to like his moon cut and his hair and his waves and the way he dressed and all this stuff where Nas could do no wrong in my eyes between 1995 and 1999. But the message is the record. Like, what is this? The message is incredible, obviously. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, so, I, 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 I was... I was talking almost more from the perspective of like, okay, like when you hear this style, like how do you, like if you start with, if you, if you sort of start with Grandmaster Flash and you end with modern hip hop, in yeah. 50, if you have 15 moves, can you trace the lineage so that someone gets how we got here? Like I was listening to, to Father Stretch My Hands the other day mm-hmm. and I was like, if I plucked an alien, like, or someone who has paid no attention to hip hop, like. The, to listen to that and to understand like what's going on with that beat, how hip hop got to this place where these production elements happened in this way, how rapping got to a point where we're doing this sing rap, we're doing this thing. I was trying to plot. I was like, you'd have to like, they'd have to first understand this and hear this and draw the, like, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's fascinating. I mean, I think that's a really interesting, like sort of hypothetical problem to solve, but maybe that wouldn't make the most entertaining show. But anyway, but you do have 15 songs that impacted you. Yeah, I got 21. 21. So 21, 21, 21. And you, right? Yeah. I, that's how the kids do it? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's a thing. So. Ah. Ah. Like the kids. No. Um. So are you, are you, did, does that list start with you with, with L Cool J I'm Bad? Yep. That, this, this list is not in order. Yeah. But um, the first, well, the first two songs are in order, but those are the first two records that impacted my life significantly and got me into hip hop and made me fall in love with it. So I'm bad. And then the second one, believe it or not, uh, the fat boys, the fat boys are back. The best of the fat boys tape is the f- one of the first tapes that I owned. If I'm bad was the first record I own. Um, the best of the fat boys. And he released it on Sol- Solar Records, which I don't know why I remembered that. I guess even back then I was a nerd reading credits. And uh, Kumo D's Knowledge is, was Knowledge is King album that had the Teddy Riley I Go to Work record. Um, yeah, they were like, the fat boys were like, they were so, I, I think I'm just attracted to like anti people where <laughs> you see everybody going in one direction and then you see this one group of this group of people going in a completely different way. I think that's why a lot of people love Chop Called Quest because they were very anti-gangster rap in an era that was 100% gangster rap. Um, the Fat Boys caught hell because they weren't rapping like Rakim or LL or Run DMC. Well, kind of Run DMC-ish, but they were having fun and they were doing records with the Beach Boys. I mean, terrible records with the Beach Boys. But they were, you know, we we talk about Walk This Way being a crossover hit. Um 
Fat Boys were some of the first artists to cross over and do movies and do TV and have and and sort of be their own brand where it wasn't about the music as much as it was as there's these three jolly fat men who eat pizza all the time. And as a five-year-old, that's the coolest thing in the world. And and then you have Buffy, you have the human beatbox. That's how I knew I could, that's how I found I could beatbox by watching him. Oh, you can you can make beats with your mouth? Oh, cool. I don't need to, I don't have a drum machine. Let me just bang on the table and you know, I used to do the, or whatever, I'm not gonna do it on the show. But I used to like make the noise with the, with the side of my cheek that Buffy would make. When Buffy died, I cried, you know what I'm saying? So was it before Pac, before Easy? I think Buffy died in 94, 95, right around the time that Easy died, I think. I cried, because he was like my first, the first guy in hip hop where I was like, I like him, he's cool. So if you think about it now, think about it with the conversation that we've had on this show, even back then, you are drawn to the people. It was just that the music was the way that you did it versus all these other outlets that you have now. Um, another one that I have, it was, it's a two-parter for this artist. Um, Ice Cube, um, Today Was a Good Day, slash Once Upon a Time in the Projects. Once Upon a Time in the Projects is, made me realize that, oh, you could tell stories with music. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is pretty cool. I'm a writer. So, you know, in school, I used to get my reading in my English classes, I used to always kill because I could write well. Oh, you can you can write hip hop? You can tell stories? And I remember my dad had the America's Most Wanted tape and he wouldn't let me listen to any, any because it was explicit lyrics. But once upon a time in the projects, he didn't cuss on it. So my dad would let me listen to that song. And then Today Was a Good Day is probably top three greatest storytelling hip hop songs ever, if not the greatest, along with the video. Just an, a, not even like a it's not an undying love. We're like, oh, there's, you know, and that's another great storytelling song. But like it was a straightforward song about a story. And it had an Osley Brothers sample and the video complimented the song and made it better. Um, another one, uh, Tupac, Me Against the World. Um, Pac was always dope to me. But I remember going to Tower Records in at the uh, what mall was that? Was it the Windward Mall in Hawaii? I don't remember the name of the wall. I, I know it began. I know it began with a W. And walking in and saying, "Oh shoot, Tupac has a new album out. Oh, this Vibe cover. He's in jail. What he? They got an interview with him from jail. Buying, making my dad buy the Vibe and the album. The album was like seventeen ninety nine because Tower Records was dumb expensive. And then going in the car, or not going in the car because the car only had a tape player. So waiting till I got home. My dad playing it and hearing me against the world, the song for the first time and be like, yo, what is like, this isn't that Tupac. This isn't Brenda's got a baby. Keep your head up, Tupac. This is a completely different Pac. I like this Pac. This Pac is dope. Um, so this, I don't know. This is really fascinating. Like my, you know, I we've talked about this in the show, I think, but like I had a much more casual relationship with hip hop until 94, 95. Yeah. You know? I mean, my parents are young. My parents are only 20 years older than I am. So, you know, when I'm nine, they're 29, right? But, you know, my parents are about as late in the baby boom generation as you can get, but they're still baby boomers. And, you know, what a whole bunch of white baby boomers listening to hip hop. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's not like that was really played around the house. So the stuff that my introduction to hip hop early on was just through stuff that was popular, right? Like... I mean, I can tell you the first tape I owned, right? It was the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, and then after that, it was probably, uh, you know, there was um, not Hammer's first, but a second. Actually, probably both of those. What the, the uh, um, no, because his first was uh, Let's Get It Started. So his second album is Please, don't Please Hammer, Don't Hammer. Oh, every, I think I might have been the only person in my school who didn't have that album. Right, and then... You know, I owned, uh, you know, Michael's Dangerous on tape. But, you know, I and then obviously, like, I was, you know, I was exposed to hip hop. Like, you hear it because you're like, it's on the radio and whatever else. But it was a much more casual relationship until I moved to New Jersey. Jersey. Right. And I'm I'm 11 turning 12. Actually, at this point, I'm 12 years old. And somebody, I'm on the bus. And, you know, by that point, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I like hip hop. I like rock and all that stuff. And he's like, oh, you should listen to this. And I put on the headphones and it's track one, Liquid Swords. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, what? I can't even process this. Yeah. But, you know, within the week, I'm, I'm begging my mom at the BX on base to, yes. you know, I, I first two tapes I bought, I bought them the same time. My, if only my mom knew what she was going to get me into. It was dog food and liquid swords. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. That was, you know, I turned from, oh, I kind of like all music. Nope. 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 Because like the year before, I bought the Green Day album. Yeah. You know, nope, nope, not nope. That was it. That was it. Yeah. And it it changed my relationship with hip hop because up until that point it was always like, oh, this is like what MTV plays. Like this is what's a video. This is what's popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but diving into an album and 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 a, and hip hop's obsession in the nineties with the concept of the album. Yeah. I think made me obsessed with the concept of the album, you know? Sure, sure. But it's fascinating to hear like, oh, you're a kid in here. Like I can't like I imagine how differently my relationship with music would be if like, oh, right. My dad introduced me to public enemy in the late eighties, mm-hmm. yep. you know, and it's why like, I'm sure, especially fans of the show who are, who are a couple years older than you and I are, who for them, they came up on PE Kane tribe. Yep. And they're like, y'all never talk about them. What's wrong. You know, like, and for me, that's why, like, right. first of all, I was a little young, but secondly, like, I just didn't grow up that environment. Like yeah. I, I didn't, it wasn't until like, cause in a certain degree, like unless your parents are really pushing music on you, it's not really until you're like between 10 and 13 when you really like, Oh, I'm get, I get music. Yeah. On that, on average. Yeah. I, yeah, know, I, know, that my, I know that my story is it's unique for my age group, but nowadays you've got hip hop babies. Right. You know, big crit tells the story of his dad would drop him off at school, listening to ATL and Zenomatic, you know? Right. So he's, so he's a child hearing, this incredible music from the get from the rip you know so now my kids are kind of into hip-hop but you know they don't live with me like that but when they're with me they're getting a crash course in a lot of different types of music because of that so but yeah a point on average yeah 10 to 12 fourth fifth sixth grade even when you're younger you're probably listening to like more poppy stuff yeah and then it's like when you you know my my daughter was a big jackson jackson's fan all through elementary school. Now, this summer, she's all about um, like her her pop artists and some hip hop and you know just some other stuff. And even like the songs that get ter- that come from like funny videos that go viral and people remix them in the songs. Those are songs that her her friends listen to and <laughs> dance to and create like routines to. Like those are their hit records now. It's crazy. So crazy right now. <laughs> So yeah, you should have made man. You should have. We should have talked about this earlier, man. You should have just went on ahead and made a list of albums because I want to hear your album list. I mean, Liquid Swords is on. Liquid Swords and Dog Food are on the list, right? And yeah. started me off in two very divergent like things of hip hop, right? Like it's an, like obviously I had heard the singles off of Chronic and Doggy Style, but I didn't hear them. I didn't hear them as like as like works of like art as like an album until later. So yeah. to jump into the Death Row era like really full full on at dog food right sort of probably the peak of that early to mid 90s oh my god is gangster rap gonna ruin america's culture like are they ruining the children is this too explicit like man the idea of a 12 year old listening to dog food yeah that yeah yeah (laughs) yeah right and then liquid swords right just you're right so you so there's no there's no i mean the internet exists but like i didn't have the internet so i have no internet all I have are what I can get on the radio and what I see on MTV and BET and just the con- consuming mythology of the Wu-Tang Clan, like attempting to understand, wait, who is this guy? Yeah. Is it, now, is it Anna Jizza? There yeah. were like, as a, as a newbie, like all I'd heard from Wu-Tang up to that point was probably, I, rem- I mean, I remember I got picked up at like, it wasn't even a day camp. It was like me and a bunch of like kids my age when I lived in North Carolina. This is like 92. This is summer 92. And I like we were like swimming at some place and like some older brother picked us up and he's playing protect your neck in the car. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, well, that's, you know, because that was obviously so aesthetically different. Like, you know, at that point, I'm like, oh, hip hop. You mean like hammer or like yeah. crisscross? <laughs> like we didn't even talk about crisscross jump. Like, yeah. oh, 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 best believe crisscross is on my list. <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, I'm like, what is protect your neck? You know, but so I, I heard that and like I'd heard cream, but like to just jump full fledged into like 
into liquid swords and then to try to like back out of that and understand like what is like what is like you know and you know that's not a that's not a straightforward wu-tang album to jump into it's like wait so they've got aliases yeah like explaining liquid swords to somebody who's never heard wu-tang or hasn't heard much wu-tang is actually really kind of funny right but that's where i jumped in yeah and then i went off from there you know what's interesting because cream is on my cream is on my list as well and you also have to recognize that when cream came out west coast hip-hop is in full swing yeah the only east coast artists that are making any noise at that time are biggie and nas and biggie was not biggie and nas was not nas at that time so yeah they were making noise but it was like it was it was bubbling like they had records but it wasn't like boom except well, maybe biggie um no that was but that was because cream because 36 chambers is december 93 so cream is like summer 94 yeah see i always see wu-tang as a sort of okay on the one hand you have tribe de la and that whole movement on the other hand you have um you've got what dre and death row and quick and others and cube are doing out west Mm -hmm. and by this point public enemy is not what it was and so here comes wu-tang with this it is very like in terms of defining what East Coast hip hop could be. It was almost like, in a sense, it's it's interesting that it happened, but like it's almost it's like a okay, we are not Tribe Called Quest, exactly, right? We are not De La Soul, you know. There is no left my wall and El Segundo. Like the, we are not that. We are not Heavy D, exactly, right? Hey, hey, no Heavy. No, D no, 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 no. I'm saying, but like it was raw, unapologetic. We are not. We are also definitely not G Funk. Exactly, exactly. Like here in Cream, West Coast hip hop is very heavy on the funk, the melody, and the drums. So hearing Cream for the first time, like there are no drums on Cream. Like RZA didn't, it's just basically like a loop sample and then maybe like some muddled drums or something, Doc. I'm sure you know. Yes. But the drums are not the focal point of that beat. No. At all. It's just the piano. So hearing that and then seeing that. Wu-Tang Clan, for lack of a better term, and excuse my language, these were some dirty niggas. <laughs> so see, like, they had, their, right, they had their own ecosystem. And I think that's what you're saying is like, yeah, Death Row had its own ecosystem, but like it had pretty much flooded the market. Wu-Tang was completely the opposite of any other ecosystem that we had seen up until that point. It was the also chains, the it, it, Wallabies, the 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 Averex jackets, all of that. It was also completely self-contained. Exactly. Right. Like, I mean, until Nas on on, on Verbal Intercourse, there hadn't been a Wu Tang album where like somebody outside of their sphere interacted at all. Yeah. Right. I mean, the fact. I mean, Red like Meth and Red did How High, but that was always very clearly seen as like, well, that's a thing over there. Yeah. You know, but like they were just so completely. 100% like it, it was like you know it was like you put on a special pair of glasses and you're like what what is this yeah 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 it was like 3D glasses the old ones the old ones <laughs> with the red and with the red and blue lenses the Nostradamus glasses <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's terrible um yeah correct okay so back to your list okay We're all over the place this episode this We're is all, great yeah it's all good um okay uh, another one <sighs> this one I'm not sold on but I feel like there's other records, but this was the first record I heard from Jay-Z where I was like, oh, what? Um, I got to go with Can I Live? Because what I remember getting, my sister got the cassette of Reasonable Doubt from Media Play for $9.99. And it was between that and I think Camp Low or something like that. I don't remember, but she ended up picking Jay-Z. And so we're going through the album and, you know, Dead Presidents is dope and Brooklyn's Finest is dope and all these records are dope. When we get to Can I Live... That's when like my ears perk up and that becomes like a theme song to me. Mm. Um, like I really fell in love with that album because of that song originally. Like that's the album. That's the song that did it for me. That made me say, okay, Jay, Jay is somebody that I need to take serious when everybody else was just kind of blowing him off. Um, I think these next two are fairly obvious. If you listen to clock radio speakers, uh, easy boys in the hood and NWA after police. Um, the funny story that my father will always tell you is that one day he was coming home from work. He had a 79 Cutlass and he's blasting 
straight out of Compton. He pulls up into the driveway. I meet him. I run outside like a like a, a pet animal, greeting my owner, and I'm like dancing to the. I'm dancing on the side of his car at five years old, singing the chorus to "F the Police," and nobody stopped me because I didn't know that you know that was a bad word. Um, but kids, man, kids. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, what do you do? You, Am I, do I get in trouble for that? I'm not saying it maliciously. It's like I'm singing the words to a song that I like. I didn't I didn't understand what I was singing until later. Um, but yeah, just again, NWA superheroes um, living in the suburbs and actually going to Cal- living in California at the time and understanding the climate that they were making music in and what was coming from that was like extremely engaging and extremely uh, impactful on my life. So those two records, 100%. I'm always going to be a ride or die NWA fan. I'm curious to know if all the the hipster kids who bought NWA clothing after the movie came out, if they're still wearing that. I'm curious. Um, where else are we? Okay. Another one. Um, this, uh, this artist I've long said was super duper influential on my life. And this was before Solange put him on his album. I had to go with a Master P record and I had to go with I'm About It. Mm. And then I also had to put, when I thought about I'm About It, I immediately thought of 3-6 Mafia Tear the Club Up. So these two records were around the time that I started going to the club when I was 12. So <laughs> I stopped going to the club when I was 22, 23. So my experience in the club, like I, I got my, I got my time. Um, for many people, they don't stop going into their late twenties, early thirties. They get a family and all that stuff. I started, I stopped super early. First of all, not only was this the independent hustle thing, because being a military brat, um, meeting other military brats and other people who were in the military that maybe worked for my father at the time, he was high ranking sergeant in the army. And like, they would bring him tapes because that's what you did back then. Like, okay, I'm from New York. Yes. And then I stationed in Louisiana. And so I'm in Louisiana and I'm hearing all this no limit uh, hypnotized mind stuff. And I end up liking it because all of the all of my, you know, soldiers, all my airmen that I'm with, they're playing it around me so much. It's just indoctrinated. And I've learned to like it, even though I'm this big Nas and Wu-Tang fan. So then when I go home on leave, I've got these three, six mafia and master P tapes like, yo, y'all need to check this out. And he gets laughed off the block. But at the same time, it's just how music moved. Um, So that ascribes like that speaks to my military brat life. Also seeing that they were independent artists and seeing that come up and seeing them sell sell uh, tapes out their trunk and essentially like your Slim Thugs and even your West Coast, your E-40s, your JT, the bigger figures were like they didn't need a record deal. They just needed a record deal to build off of, you know, what they had already built. So they came, they, they're coming to these major labels with pre-built audiences, which is essentially what they want you to do now. And then third, these are records that I saw people get beat up to. Both of these records were banned in the club. And anytime, and I don't know why they were banned in the club and the DJ would play them anyway. <laughs> but soon as you hear those keys on Tear the Club Up, or you hear that, I don't even know the name of that noise, that's on I'm About It. Somebody was getting beat up. I the, uh, the synth, right? The, the synth. There we go. That, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mono, yeah, it's a mono synth. I mean, hey, it's, the West Co- it's the West Coast whistle. Listen, if you don't know the West Coast whistle, is that a dance? <laughs> Everybody do the West Coast whistle? Uh, could also, possibly sounds like a weird name for a wrestler. <laughs> From Parts <laughs> Unknown. Two hundred and seventy-five pounds, the West Coast Whistler. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, it's just the opening notes, the bow to bow to play in the hole. That's the theme song. I, if you know what that sound is, I totally need you to make a beat with that. Oh um, yeah, I mean you could. Yeah, okay. Yeah, next time. Yeah, when I come. To, <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm, I, I'm gonna. I'll set that up, and you'll just be like, oh, you're just gonna do that all day. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, I saw I saw somebody get stabbed to this record. Like, so that was me seeing the impact and influence on music. When people say, I was watching the Defiant Ones again last night, and um, when the FBI wrote the letter to NWA, the FBI acknowledged that music is a very influential and powerful tool 
to the masses. So there's all these conspiracy theorists to talk about, you know, what the what the government, the FBI did to hip hop after after what they saw NWA and Public Enemy and all that stuff do. But I'm seeing it on a different side where it's like this record comes on and people like just get filled with rage. And that was so I think the people watcher in me and the, the fake social worker in me is like fascinated by that. Like, how does this song or how do these lyrics or how does this basically make you want to harm someone? That was that was super fascinating to me. So I have a, I have a lot of random thoughts here. Just okay. just to just to warn you, the whole concept of like militaries, like things bringing people together from different areas. So I moved to Oklahoma, which, you know, the hip hop scene there was. Um, well, yeah, uh, mm, we didn't have we didn't have a radio station that played hip hop. So that was a problem. Shout out um, to Chauncey Johnson. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, I lived in like rural Oklahoma. And so, but one of my friends, he had just moved there as well. And, you know, my exposure to hip hop, we both moved there around the same time. I'm coming from New Jersey, right? Where it's like a bunch of like, you know, 13 and 14 year old guys, white, black, you know, Hispanic, whatever, running around all basically trying to look like they're ready to put a baseball bat on their shoulders and walk into a mob deep video, right? Like, right. it's all like, you know, shorts and Tim's and like, you know, it's a, it's a certain nineties yeah. yeah. aesthetic. Yeah. And, and I meet, I meet this, you know, Hispanic guy from Houston who's, you know, creasing his, creasing his jeans and ironing them. Yes. And, and, and he's listening to early screw music. And I'm yes. like, what is this? Yeah. You know, and we're sitting there, you know, talk, like I remember we, him and I, we, one of, one of our recurring arguments was how, you know, he thought the, the Biggie Born Again album was terrible, which he was right. But he's like, yeah, but the Cash Money song's okay. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine. And I know you, th- is that why you hate that song now? I actually I'm, I'm, don't I'm, hate, I don't hate that song. But like, I'm like, eh, dead wrong? Huh? Mm, you know? Yeah. Um, But no, like there was this whole idea of like, you're you're like, screw music? Like what is, like that? I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing. The other, the other thing I want to say, you were talking about the, the synth whistle. Like wh- when I hear, when I hear, um, when I hear about about it, I can't help but like I don't know. It feel I know that P like has Bay Area roots, so like he can kind of claim that. But like there was a lot of Dre, there was a lot of like West Coast jacking in that, you know, in that. Like, oh, one hundred percent. And I, I always mean, think he of went I, to, he went to uh, Northern California, right? I, essentially, to get away from uh, a legal situation, and he ends up, you know, I, I think of, yeah. I think of him and Jermaine Dupri as just being unabashed about jacking that sound 100 percent um i mean we we talked we we talked about already once before but like crisscross jump like yes (laughs) yeah um but for me the this good out of all i can't believe out of all the records that you think would the record that got me thinking like oh you know what maybe i should pay attention to no limit is if i could change (laughs) (laughs) yo i bought the cd i bought the cd single Nope, that's a tough record. I'm not. I'm not letting. I'm not letting you laugh at that. That's a tough single. And and now, like, I can recognize right. Oh, right. Bout about it is is superior. Like, I know that now. But like, man, if I could change, yeah, yeah, nah, if nah, I could that's change. it. <laughs> Should we play that? Fast Living got me trapped in the street game. You don't think people know if I could change? Nah, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And we're gonna play that. <laughs> Just, just for our listeners who may not know. Right, because there are some people going, if I could change. I got you. See, now I hear that and I'm like, oh, right. So he ne- he wanted to make sure he had like the R&B guy who's like, he needed his own version of like Nate Dogg to like harmonize on this. And I'm hearing like, oh, right. I, I kind of hear a little like ra- almost a little rap a lot in that beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. My favorite, my favorite rap a lot beat from that era has to be uh, F Faces. My, that song is. Man, that that song. <laughs> Devin is Devin is amazing. Devin is amazing. I didn't I didn't utilize you know that that came out what ninety six. What's that? F face screw face. Really? Oh yes, I think that the the 
the radio edit was Sex Faces. Um, Sex Faces. There we go. So that, that was 96, 97 maybe at the latest? Uh, 98. 90, was it really? Okay. That was yeah. on, uh, that was, yeah, it was, it was on My Homies. My, my Homies, yeah. So uh, um, Scarface, Tella, Devin, and Too Short. Oh, man, you know who produced that? Who? Mike Dean. Wow. Yeah, Mike Dean did a lot of rap a lot stuff. He sure oh, did. man. He sure That's did. a heck of a career, man. You do Sex Faces, but you're also doing those records with Kite Man. It's just... Pfft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that song got me in trouble later in life. <laughs> like, I didn't know, you know, in 98, I'm like 13, 14. So, nah, I wasn't, I was, I was chilling then. 10 years after that? Yeah. yeah song, well, not 10 years, maybe like five years after that. Yeah, I got, yeah, a lot of trouble. Um, but yeah, great song, great song, great song, great song, great song. Um... There's, else? Oh, there's we 30 keep... records on this. Oh, it's two discs. I was like, how did double Scarface got? Yeah, double disc. Because remember, like, this was the era. Because people talk about, okay, in order to be great, you have to do a double disc. So you've got yes. oh. Pac had one, Big had one, Jay had one, Wu-Tang had one. Oh, eight Ball. Eight Ball had a triple Three. disc. Three. Triple disc. Well, the third, he cheated because the third disc, I think, was like a Rap-A-Lot sampler or something like that. Um, Corrupt had a double disc. Oh, Corruption. Yeah. Yeah, the West Coast City and the East Coast City. <laughs> we Listen, can freak man. it though. I was gonna say we can freak it and Seawalk are classics without question. Classics, but I don't even know if there's any what is on the East Coast City. <laughs> I don't want to hear corrupt rap over any I don't want to hear 95, 96, or even 97 corrupt rap over any uh East Coast production. There's there is theoretically, there's nothing else I would want more, but yet so first of all, there's the East Coast remix of We Can Freak It. What? Produced by Stevie J with wow. Nori. I kind of want to hear this. I think you should play it right now. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yo, he's got a record with Deadly Venoms. <sighs> he's got a Devante Swing record. Do I need to revisit this album? <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, and he's got he's got an Easy Mo B record with Buckshot. I might need to revisit this album. I never want to hear a song that starts off with whispering. We can freak it out, but we can freak it out. Oh, no. All this is terrible. Oh, terrible. Huh? That was awful. That was terrible. What's the, what's the, let's play one more record. What was the Easy Moby? Yeah, either that one or the Deadly Venoms one. I don't care. Oh, the Deadly Venom ones is going to be bad. Let's give him a chance. Let's go. Uh, it's called Light-ish Up. So light, yeah, up with I, Buckshot. You can figure it out. Yeah, true story. You know what I'm saying? We got to duck down. This is what you get when you get this shit. Clock Radio Speakers is a family show. We apologize for the language. That's a super interesting Easy Mo B. What year is Corruption? This is 97, 98, late this September 98. That is totally a, um, that's, that's me against the world. That sounds like temptations a little bit. I was going to say that I also hear like a little bit, like he's incorporating that like later bad boy work into that. You think so? A little bit. What's, what's later bad boy work to you? Is, is that like 97? Oh, 97. Like, bad boy I, like I hear that and I, like, I can understand how the same guy who made that also made, I love the dough. Okay. Speaking of I love the dough, <laughs> I heard this random episode. Ever. I know it it really is. Um Doc and Armand read the internet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I can't even like follow up with a joke. I just saw you like like I just saw you like stretch out a newspaper and prop your feet up like hmm. <laughs> what's on the internet today you, you know i do so this is great i have a reading nook in my in my office upstairs now so i've got like a little ottoman with a little chair and a little table i can just go right over there of course you do <laughs> and I, and now we need to i need to play something else good or talk about something else because i have we can freak it out stuck in my head <laughs> we can freak it out what what god that was so bad okay um since we've already alluded to these artists yeah, uh, yeah. to this group a time or two, we can go ahead and talk about it because right. crisscross warm it up is one thousand percent on my list. Warm it up, warm it up is on my list. Not jump. I did warm it up in my third grade talent show. There is video; no one will ever see it. We definitely had a dress backwards day. Oh, there was no day. That was my life. 
<laughs> second grade i'm 100 percent like the teachers had to tell my parents to like make me wear my clothes man can you imagine if you would you would you you know could have been you know ha- having the model model in ministry back then you could have been on instagram killing it killing it killing it and they want me to be great man you can bring terrible. that back what wearing clothes backwards at least the jerseys you know what? <laughs> you thought about it for about three seconds. Here's the thing. I've got a couple of jerseys. You know what? I'm gonna I'm going to I'll wear a jersey backwards my next picture and I will and I will blame you for it. <laughs> Just you gotta act like it's totally normal and see what the see what the comments say. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I, of course you gotta you gotta own it. I'm not gonna like look awkward and be like, yeah, Doc told me to do this. Like when your girl makes you like wear some pants that don't fit, and she's like, these these look great on you. They're cute, and you're like, nah. Y- your your mom not- buys you something for for Christmas, and you're like, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not Ralphie with the bunny suit. Like that's not happening. I own it, and we'll see what the kids say. We'll see what the streets say. Um, but yeah, crisscross again, just like little brother made us believe that we could do it. Seeing crisscross do it, because I mean, another bad creation. They were more so for like the girls, but like crisscross were like they were the anti another bad creation and even dissing them on the on the first record, dissing them on jump. You know, they were cool. They had the twists. They wore their clothes backwards. They wore a lot of starter. Um, they were just cool. And you wanted to be like them and you wanted to emulate them. And Totally Crossed Out at the time, at the time, was a great album. You know what I'm saying? So it, I, I was such a big fan. I'm, I might be the only person in the world who bought Young, Rich, and Dangerous. I bought that third album. That th- well, I mean, it was better than The Bomb. The Bomb, the bomb had some joints, though. <sighs> I got that for, for Christmas, I think. Oh, man, that was bad. Um, totally Crossed Out, like, the amazing thing about that is like, I just, I refuse to believe that they saw a penny off of the album sales. Oh, between the samples and Jermaine Dupri, yeah, they ain't get no money off of The that. samples are, so <laughs> do you want to hear the, the sample list for Jump? Please. So, you know, so three of them are, are pretty obvious, right? So there's, I Want You Back, mm-hmm. the pianos, Jackson mm-hmm. 5. There's the synth whistle, which is Funky Worm by Ohio Players. And mm-hmm. the drums are Impeach the President. So that right there, that's eating up your whole budget. But then there's a Schooly D sample from Saturday Night, James Brown sample, Sly and the Family Stone sample, Dougie Fresh sample. Like, <laughs> This is all jump? Yes. Wow. Because this is that era of production. It's that pseudo bomb squad-ish, like I'm going to throw, you know, warm it up, samples the Humpty Dance, mm-hmm. Welcome to Terror Dome. Fast Peg by Old Cool J, Sucker MCs, Warm It Up Kane, because it's Warm It Up Chris. Like, I mean- the stuff they had to give credit to is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely didn't make any money off of that. They made no money. Like, between Jackson 5, Ohio Players, Honey Drippers, James Brown, Sly Family Stone, I just don't think... I mean, how do you make any money off Jump? I mean, plus, you know, it's uh, Jermaine Dupri, it, but... Yeah, they're a kid group. They're signed by Jermaine Dupri. There's no way they were, There's no way those splits were doing them any favors. Right. But yeah. Okay. Uh, what else do I have? Um, okay. Well, we already talked about... We didn't talk about Mob Deep. They on your list? Shook Ones Part Two is one hundred percent on my list. And when we did a Mob Deep retro, I said Shook Ones was a song that I never had to hear again. But it's because the first time I heard it, my my face crawled behind my head <laughs> and just sat there for a couple minutes. It's the first rap verse I completely memorized. Um, yeah, it was dark. That mm. album. I remember getting the tape and playing it in my aunt's '95 Dodge Neon. And my aunt being absolutely annoyed because she thought it was terrible. But my sister and I thought this it was just the greatest thing ever. And it was dark. It was a dark. The infamous is a dark out. I went back when Prodigy passed away. I went back and listened, was just listening to Mob Deep stuff. And I, I mean, I semi-regularly listen to Mob Deep already, but I'm listening to the things that they're saying. It's an it, incredibly dark album. Just the not only just the the murder and death that's on it, it's the different ways that they'll kill you, the bleak hope for the future that they have. It's just it's just dark. But 1995 was the coolest thing in the world. Hmm. So that's 100 percent on my list. Um, Another artist. This is obviously on my list. And I think if people know me, then they they obviously know. Um, I was trying to figure out what Joe Button song I was going to put on here. I just went on ahead and went with all of me um, because Joe was the first artist who made me. Uh, say that it was okay to write about stuff that I was going through. I don't because, know if I know this song. Because you say you say Joe Budden all of me, and for whatever reason, all I can picture is Joe Budden singing John Legend's All of Me, which is just... <laughs> just... 
You're trash. <laughs> <laughs> what era Joe is this? No, this is Moon Music 3. Okay. Moon Music 3. So this is, it's like a nine minute record. Oh, goodness. And he's just talking about everything. And, you know, when you and I met, I was like a super punchline rapper. So I was all punchline. I was all battle rap. I was deep in the Murder Mook, Loaded Lux, you know, Smack DVD era of punchlines. Fabulous. Oops, you know, surprise. You know. Yeah. I mean, even Joe Budden comes in that era too. And that's when I first, you know, really got into his music. But Joe made me like, okay, it's okay to write about what you're going through and <clears throat> either not having a solution or just kind of like rapping about the hopelessness and despair that I was dealing with in my late teens, in my teenage years, my late teens, in my early 20s, where I was depressed all the time. And I was like, in retrospect, I was kind of fake suicidal. Where I thought I didn't want to live anymore, but I was just, you know, just didn't, just the teen angst that just lingered around too long and didn't process it correctly. All this other stuff. And, um, you know, to this day, walking contradiction doesn't exist without Joe Budden and Fonte saying that it's okay to, you know, rap about, you know, issues with, you know, the mother of your children and, you know, issues about this and that. So, like, Joe Budden's 100 percent, 1000 percent on on my list. Uh, what else? We already talked about Dre. You said the dog pound was your introduction. And I remember where I was the first time I heard Respect on 92.3 to beat. I was in L.A. And that record is always going to sound different to me because Theo World premiered it. And hearing Respect in 1995 in L.A. is an experience that I wish the world <laughs> could have because it was amazing. Respect? What? That record is hard. But Let Me Ride is on my list. Mm. Let Me Ride is a perfect song. To me, it perfectly uh, it perfectly describes the chronic and the chronic. I don't care who you are. If you were over the age of 27, the chronic changed your life the first time you heard it, especially if you remember if you heard it when it was out, like the album sounded like nothing else that was even trying to be created during that time. And again, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, early Snoop Dogg, 100 percent is a hip hop superhero. Yeah, he's he's the most feared man in America at one point. Middle America was terrified of Snoop, and yeah, so let me ride one hundred percent. DMX, another rapper who influenced me very much. So I couldn't think of a song, um, but if I had to pick one, it had to be the "It's Dark and Hell Is Hot" intro. Hmm. Like that, just that intro made me. The intro showed me that it was important. The intros were important. You have to come out and you have to make a statement on your intro. I think you and I did that with this album because the intro that we have is amazing. Um, even if I lose, coming very soon. And uh, what else? Okay, here's something. That, here's two that you and I can talk about for sure. Yeah. Kanye West flashing lights. Cameron, mm. I really mean it. That's a really interesting record. So which one? I really mean it. I really mean it to me. If I ever had to pick a record that would best describe like you and I's friendship and you and I's era, I'm either going with I really mean it or the bigger picture. The bigger I will I, I I remember where I was when I heard the bigger picture. I remember where I was when I heard um uh, through the wire. Um it's interesting you chose flashing lights. I want to get to that in a second. But um I really mean it is just like it I'm not saying it's the best, although it might be the best example of like that sound in hip-hop but it is everything about it right like it's all right there like yep. if if you wanted to explain to somebody like this is like here's what like so we had all these threads running through right like so you know okay well you know risen ghost kind of did this was clientele and these producers did this and then jd the blueprint we kind of got here and we go through here but then cam came from here and then you just go no 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 just listen to i really mean it and you can just draw the lines that come out from that Mm-hmm. It's yep. it's also like there are some songs where like they will change your mood. Yep. Like I I, I need a playlist like this because I just and I inevitably will go to these songs. Sometimes you just need like you know it's like a day at work you're not really you don't really want to do anything or like you got a headache you're like you just uh, you kind of feel that malaise. There's some records you can put on and afterwards you're like yeah all right I'm good I got this or records that like when when they come on you really just want to be in your car so you can play them with the windows rolled down at an obscene volume. Yep. It's funny you yep. pick flashing lights. So the reason why I picked Flashing Lights is because the Glow in the Dark tour, um, Kanye's set was amazing. And it, it was my first stadium experience with hip hop, where it was like 
oh, we're going to make these big records that are bigger than your headphones. They're bigger than your speakers at home. These are records that have to be played in an arena with 10, 12, 15,000 people. And you can feel it. And I remember the build up the flashing lights. You can go on YouTube right now and search Kanye West flashing lights glow in the dark tour. No matter where you go, the build, whatever video you watch, the build up into that song. I think I watched it like a year and a half ago and I got goosebumps all over again. It's like, that is the big, that let me know that hip hop is in a completely different space. That's why it's on my list compared to any of the other Kanye West records. Cause yeah, through the wires on the list, through the wires, one of the greatest hip hop videos ever. Um, Kanye's got joints. Obviously we, we largely cape for Kanye on this show, but yeah. Some of um, us more than others. <laughs> some of us more than others. Yes. Well, some of us different eras. We'll say that different eras. And see, can't tell me nothing that did it, it too is such a that is like that's a i really mean it type record from like I, I put that on and i'm like yeah i'm good i'm good yeah i'm, I'm good <clears throat> um it's interesting right like because now as we like as you you're sort of going roughly chronologically but like when you get in these later years like my my memories of music now become really intertwined with my relationship with my wife yeah exactly right so like <clears throat> you know spring of you know a winter into spring of 2004 you know she's study abroad and we had just started dating right and i sent her this mix cd i, I was making of course i was making mixes for her. i made her one that was this is before college dropout comes out i made, made her one that was like i was basically like you need to like know who kanye is so i made her like a mix of like stuff that he had produced right like so it's like 2003 so it's like you know you don't know my name it's like that sort of era you know that sort of era kanye right she still to this day is like i wish i still had that cd you know Oh, yo, hold on. Just not to interrupt you, but yeah. that it's that it's the real uh, Rockefeller thing. Did yeah. you know that the same beat tape that had Never Change and most of the stuff that Jay used for Blueprint had You Don't Know My Name on it? I think I knew that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All that's, right. That's a heck of a beat tape. Right. Um, but also like Murs and Ninth Wonder, Pain. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that was our record. Yeah. Like that, I that I got her like into that was like another like hook for her to like get into hip hop, right? Like the first hip hop album that her and I like sat down and like listened to together for the first time when it leaked was yeah. Commons B, right? Like yeah. I will remember doing that, and then the second one was Late Registration. Yeah, like so like, I, I re- always remember that with her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember when you sent me Commons B album and it leaked super early. Yeah. And like you hit me up on AIM and was like, yo, have you been on the internet today? Commons album leaked. And I was like, and you was like, you have to listen to the intro. That, that's just, that, that's just an amazing statement. Have you been on the internet? Yes. You used to have to go <laughs> on the internet. The internet did not simply flow around you. Yes. You had to, I had to be at home. You had to sit on a computer. God, we sound old. Yeah, we do. All right. Um, yeah, let's wrap it. Let's yeah, wrap this. We could wrap this section up. What? So albums. So, uh, Albums that we haven't really talked about that meant that like really impacted me. So, I mean, Cuban Links, right? Of course. It's your favorite album ever, right? It is in a sense like it, it really like as a, I mean, I was deep in the hip hop already at that time, but like the combination of the production and like that self mythology that Wu-Tang had created, like that world that you could like live in, like it was so like, especially for me, like at the time I'm like, when I, re- cause I, I heard it and I can't remember when I, when exactly I bought it, but I really got into it. Like after Wu-Tang forever, I was like the biggest Wu-Tang stand ever. And like mm-hmm. that coincided with a move to Oklahoma yeah. where like I wasn't all, I was all of a sudden in a place I'm not a real big fan of and I'm just going inward into music. And like Wu-Tang was music that you could go into, mm-hmm. you know, it was this whole other world. And so, but it, I felt like at like with that album, all, all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I didn't even know that like you could use this stuff to make a beat and it would work. Yeah. You know? Um so Cuban Links was a huge impact on me. Moment of truth. Mm. I was just listening to that today. My 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 primo stannery was already in full-fledged, you know, ascent to the point where, you know, I definitely went to to the Hastings and bought um the Hastings off base and bought you know, the CD single for all city, the actual, mm. right? Like my primo standery was at peak. And then, you know, the, the, the moment, you know, the, you know, my Steve's video comes out and I'm loving that. And now I listen to it now and I'm like, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it then. And then royalty comes out mm-hmm. and I'm just like, 
what? You know, and then, you know, you get the source mag and the idea of an artist getting, you know, hip hop quotable of the month more than once. Well, that was a big deal. Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure Deck got it for Above the Clouds. Yeah. And that was just such a like combination of like, I'm 15 years old and here are my, my inspected deck stannery and my primo stannery come together <laughs> like yeah. peak stannery that album man yeah yeah um let me just say this is above the clouds <sighs> go ahead i don't want to say it's like it's not one of the greatest i'll say this okay it's one of the greatest boom bap songs of all time sure yeah it's okay. it's okay. like especially like the concept of like a guest appearance like that's an incredible combination of, of stuff that happens there. Mm-hmm. It is peak Wu Tangery. It is peak Boom Bapery. Like yeah. Primo is at the height of his powers in between ninety six and nine and two thousand. But you could even narrow that even more and really go like ninety eight to me ninety eight ninety nine. That's that's peak Primo. Yeah. Okay. Um, we don't really talk about the blueprint. I, okay. Yeah. I will always remember. Like that is that is an album that just because of. That album, but then in a weird way, the leaks afterwards and the leaks yeah. before, like that album started to change the way that I consume music and think mm-hmm. about music. And more importantly, really dive behind and sort of think about, oh, albums are like constructed and there's a process yep. and not everything makes it. And there's other stuff. And yeah. there's a thing to this. Like, and for me as an, like, as a, if you hear me on the show, like that is, that is like a that was like like a revolutionary concept. Yeah. Right. I had yeah, never yeah, thought yeah. about music that way, and it totally changed the way that I listen about. Music. I mean, part of that was we had the internet, we had access to some of the stuff, but to then see music through that lens and understand, oh right, like it's not like an, it's not like this this rapper sat down with like, oh, I work with this producer on this one song. No, you probably worked on like three songs, and like yeah. one of them ends up over here, and one of them ends up over one of them's on the cutting room floor, and it gets released as like a DJ exclusive, or we can't clear the sample. Like understanding the mechanics behind it all opened up this whole other world to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I remember the day that the blueprint leaked, August 20th, 2011. That's crazy. It was the same day as the Source Awards. That's how I remember it. Mm. Yeah, so 100%. That's a that's a yeah, okay. 